We're going to be hearing from uh, someone that many of the men have already heard from. And Kyung, what I'll have you do, bro, what we'll do, I think, is after Rusty's done, after, right maybe at the end, you come up, share your comments, then we'll have a, a break, one worship song, and then I'll, I'll do the closing session. Okay, so that, you just heard the plan for the morning. And, um, and, and we're going to be hearing from Rusty. Rusty uh, is a... Uh, really works in the corporate world and is quite accomplished. He, I've, I don't know how much you want us to talk about the, the snow cap and uh, his work in vice president at EA Sports and then also his whole snow cap venture, which they had quite a, a, a couple of weeks as they cut a deal with uh, MySpace. And so there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff that Rusty's involved with at a, at a corporate level. He's running that, that company. But to me, one of the most impressive things about Rusty, and I've asked him to address this whole concept of servant leadership, has to do with the fact that um, this subject he has modeled. Uh, how many years, Rusty, have you been working with the, the kids? So for three years, Rusty's been serving weekly as a Sunday school teacher. And um, it's always kind of amazed me, you know, Rusty's out there, uh, in the world where there's a lot of you know power broke, brokering going on, and yet what I've seen him extraordinarily committed to, even with uh, the unique challenges that face us in our facility, is he and his wife both have been extremely committed to our children, and so it's not just like someone who talks it. What I, the reason I brought that up was I wanted you to know that you're not going to be hearing from someone who just talks it from an ivory tower. Uh, is a person who in the practical aspect of our church life has been a very faithful servant to our children in this in unnoticed and frequently unseen to the rest of our congregation on these weekends is an entire group of ministers men and women who are really giving themselves to bless our kids and perhaps you know again I don't want to make this into a, a pitch but I do want to say after hearing what Lewis just said some of you might want to really think about, and might even Rusty, maybe just in brief, just kind of mention a little bit about what it has been like to serve the children. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus said, let the children come to me. And um, a part of what, what, we, what we have to remember is that some of you have a real gift, a real ability to connect with little ones. There's a gentleness about you, perhaps, or a sensitivity that you have associated with your own child childhood. Maybe there's some things that happened to you that that you would want to see not happen, or perhaps some things that you didn't receive that you would want a little one to receive in the name of the Lord. Um, I'm just going to throw out the fact that in our children's ministry, we need good men. We need men who are willing to be, you know, Tom serves there as well. Big Tom is serving everywhere, you know. Mission Java, uh, you know, children's ministry, men's ministry. is a great example of, of in these years of his life, this... Uh, the second half of his life, how God has just inspired him to be a servant as well, and a difference maker in the lives of, of um, others. And I know a lot of us got cramped schedules, and we've got a lot of pressures on us, but you know what? If God's been dealing with you, consider it. I mean, and you're going to be hearing from someone who has a heart for the little ones, but he's going to be sharing with us on what it means to be a servant leader. Now, here's the connection to where we've been. We've been talking about how to be a superman for God, superman for God. And uh, last night, the part of the reason for the film, we talked about Saul. Saul was an example of a kind of a tragic figure, a leader who um, 
lost something that he shouldn't have lost and, and missed out on so much. He, he is a picture of a life that didn't, didn't ever become what it was meant to be. And, when I, and we've been talking, to me personally, I've been reflecting on the sadness of a life poorly lived. And today, when I share the, at my dad's funeral, um, I can't say what I'm saying to you now. Um, because I just don't feel like I have permission to do so in my own heart. But if I had to say one overriding thing, it would be the sadness of a life poorly lived. How he allowed the hurts of his life to dictate to him um, how, he, how he spent it. And we can be defined by our hurts, or we can choose to commit them into the hand of the Lord and ask God to get us better so that we can serve others. And I think one of the ways God heals us is by having us give our lives away. And frequently, one of the best things we can do when we want to really truly get over the hump in terms of getting better is instead of being self-focused, we start determining that we're going to be a servant and we're going to start, we start helping others. And before long, as our focus gets off of ourself and what wasn't fair and what's not going right and how someone else is not coming through for us, we decide we're going to try to be a person who is fair. We're going to start being a person who comes through for others. And we're going to be a person who lays down their life so others may live. And then, of course, we saw, you know, Lieutenant Winters, who becomes ultimately a captain, and the example of the Band of Brothers episode, The Day of Days, and how really the outstanding earmark, which was exactly the opposite of Saul, Saul started humble, but he became proud and willful, and, got, and he lost out on what God had for him. We talked about rebellion being like the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is something that God can't use nor put up with. But in that example of a soldier in the midst of, a, of the battle, we saw that spirit of humility, one who was willing to accept responsibility, which is what I'm going to talk about in my section, closing out. One who was willing to accept responsibility, but not in pride. And it's a real balance to retain a spirit, the essential spirit of humility, at the same time to be willing to step up to something. You see what I'm saying, guys? And I think really, truly, that is Jesus. Jesus was meek, but he was also fierce in his willingness to step up and do what needed to be done. He steadfastly set his face towards Jerusalem, and, and nothing moved him. So I want us, you know, thinking, thinking about that, Rusty's going to share around this idea of servant leadership. And so I would like us, if we can, you know what, um, to just sort of give him also a welcome right now. Come on up, Rusty. And then bless Are you okay? I'm going to try this here. Uh, no, I think this will work great. That's perfect. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, um, Lewis. Thank you. Uh, you. You gave me probably the best introduction to what I was going to talk about. So it's like, that worked really well. And we, and we never talked. So it's a beautiful thing. Um, I know we have pencils and paper. So I'd like you to do something for me before we get started. First of all, I would like you to write down three things that you see in others that you like how you influence them. Okay? So if it's people... They work for you, your team. Write down three things you like in them, you like to see. If you don't have people who work for you, think about your kids, your family. If you don't have kids and family, think about people that you influence. And as Lewis said, it could be you know, just about anybody. 
So just write down three things you, and if you're, if you're a leader, just really quickly, you know, three, three things you see in your team. That we like? Yeah, that you like. Three things you see about your team you like. Like I said, if, you don't, if it's not your team, it could be your kids, it could be people that you, any, anybody else that you think you influence. Okay, when you're done with that, I want you to write three things down you don't like. Three things you don't like. Things you see, you just, gosh, I, don't, I, just, don't, I just don't like that. I wish, I wish that was different. Okay, when you've got that, and I want you to stare at that list, and I want you to put a little asterisk next to the ones that look a lot like you. You know? Because whether you know it or not, and Lewis called it a pattern, I call it the shadow. You're casting, we all cast a shadow as a leader. People fall into that shadow. They watch what we do, they imitate what we do. And lo and behold, they take on the characteristics and the traits of us, of us as leaders. And so when you see those three things that you like about the team, it's because you're modeling them. And you see the three things that you don't like there? It's a good chance you're modeling them. And you don't, may never even think about it. Now, you might look at the three things you really like and go, oh, yeah, that's definitely me. I love that. I love that. That's right. You know, they work hard. You know, they, they're prompt. They're responsive. You know, they're on top of it. You know, that's me. And then the three things you don't, may not like, you go, ooh, gosh, where's that coming from? And if you're honest with yourself, you'll start to see that that's, that, that shadow that you cast, those really are you. Now, now, here we are on this Saturday morning in church. We have a different kind of shadow. So we cast not only our own shadow, but we also have to cast the shadow of our leader, of our leader. And that shadow that you see there is one that, you know, is, uh, is challenged. Uh, people want to scrutinize it. They want to take it on. They want to. They want to. They want to get down and say, "Wait, wait a minute. You know, what's that really about?" But that same shadow that you're that they're challenging and criticizing and trying to get after, you're casting it. If you're living the life of Christ and you are living that servant leadership that we're going to talk about, so. I love this quote. 
It's actually from a superwoman, from a book of about a superwoman, not a superman, but the book of Esther. And, I, and I, I, I've been living, this, living with this for a while. What's more, who can say but that you have been elevated to the palace for just a time such as this? So such, just such a time as this. Now, the story of Queen Esther, right? Mordecai comes to her and says, so you, you got the ear of the king? You know, I need you to go in and, and you got to defend the Jews. You got you to take a stand. And she says, whoa, 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 you don't, you don't just kind of walk into the king, right? You know, you have to be invited to the king. You know, you just can't walk in. And he goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Who's to say that you haven't been elevated to the palace for just such a time as this? And so when we think about the shadow that we cast as a leader, right, every single moment, every single point of time might be that moment that could be the reason we were elevated to the palace. Just such a time as this. I was driving down this this morning and I was saying to myself, I said, uh, maybe this was the moment. Maybe everything that I've been doing, potentially in life, was about maybe somebody hearing something today that would be impactful. So if we live our lives thinking this way, then you begin to say, hmm, you know, that shadow that you cast is pretty important. Um, you know, I want to read an email to you, and then we're going to go through it, because I think it's a really cool way to sort of dissect things uh, around leadership. And then we're going to talk a little bit. I'm going to go deeper into some thoughts that I have. But this is, so Phil, hey, sorry about having to do this in an email, but Tim and I are stuck over here in these negotiations, and it doesn't look like we're going to get back anytime soon. I hope you're well, I hope you're doing okay and not letting things drive you crazy. I always tell everyone how fortunate we are to have you there. I just can't imagine anyone who would give more than you do. That's why I need to ask you a favor. You know that I really don't need to ask you as a favor, but the way we work together, I'd rather ask than tell you, as it is something you, I need you to do. I would really like you to spend some time and take Ali under your wing. Yes, I know, he really hasn't been much use to you in the past, but I now feel he can be very useful to both of us. So I'd, I'd like to transfer him back to your team, and you should know that he comes back to you with my full support and belief that he can succeed. I haven't talked to him yet, as I wanted to get to you first, and I certainly don't want you to feel as though I'm forcing this on you. But rather, this would also be something you would do because you want it. So as partners, I hope you will trust in me and give him the same welcome you would, you would if I was coming onto your team. If this goes sour, you could count on me to make it right for you, and if it gets in the way of you making plan this year, I'll give you plan relief for your co his cost. Won't count anything against next year's plan either. So please do me this favor. I know that you'll make more positive of this than I could ever have imagined, and I look forward to when I'm back soon and we can see how well he's doing. You can reach me at any time to talk this through. Everyone of, of the team here says, hey, and wishing you big success. See you soon, Paul. See you soon, Paul. Okay? So what I want to do is I want to take this little email and I want to go through it for a second and see what are some words that, me, that are about leadership. What do we read in this? So here's the first one. This guy, Paul, he's just being honest. You got to take one for the team, right? No hidden punches. Yeah, I got to be honest. I need you to take one for the team, you know? I'm really sorry about having to do this in an email. You know, I'd like to be there, but, you know, I can't be. So let me give you some context of why I'm doing it this way. I hope you're well. It says I care about you. Right? I care about you. You know, I can't tell you how fortunate you are to have you there. A little bit of praise. Right? 
That's why I need to ask you for a favor. <laughs> ask, right, not tell. And the way we work together, here's this word partner that shows up. I like to transfer, you know, you got my full support. The word support's there. I haven't talked to him yet as I wanted to get to you first, so I'm asking for permission. And, you know, I want you to do it because it's something you wanted to do, right? So I'm looking for your commitment, not compliance, but commitment. So, you know, I hope you'll trust in me. So there's that word trust, right? If it goes sour, you could count on me. So accountability as a leader. I know you'll make more positive this, so I have belief in you. I also think you'll do more than I imagine, so I'll have a little bit of challenge there. <laughs> and then we're all wishing you big success, encouragement. Words of leadership. Now, there are hundreds more words of leadership, hundreds more words of leadership. And we're going to boil this down in a little bit around uh, um, you know, the, the leadership of, uh, and, and servant leadership. But, you know, in, in that just email, look how many words of leadership come out of one single email. And I think if we were getting on, if we were on the receiving end of that email, we'd probably go, you know, absolutely, I'm bringing Ali over, I'm going to make the most of it. You know, Paul, man, what a guy. What a guy you are as a leader. So just the interesting thing for you, the original text is actually the book of uh, Philemon. So if you take the book of uh, Philemon, it's three chapters, in our little, my little Bible, it's one page. It's Paul talking to Phil, you know, asking him to take, you know, a guy and do something good with him. It's leadership. It was leadership. And Paul, as, you know, the perfect example of really the servant leader, right, a guy who was willing to give, 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 and then give more. Ultimately, give, give everything. So when I think about the shadow, you know, of our leader, so what are some things for us to, to talk about? So it starts with definitely serving others. So leadership, let me just tell you right now, is a privilege. It's not a right. In moments of leadership and when we get elevated to that point, whether it's in our jobs, it's in our, our community, it's in our family, you know, um, leadership can be taken away as fast as it's given to you. It's a privilege. And when you think about it as a privilege, you actually come at it in a whole different aspect. You come with a humility. And everybody wants to work with or be around humble leaders. Right? No one wants to be around an arrogant person. And guess what? Arrogant people don't tend to stay leaders very long. They might keep the title. They might keep the job. But when they say, we're going over the hill, there's a whole bunch of people sitting there going, you're going over the hill. <laughs> we're not coming with you. So with the, with the idea of privilege and humility, um, you know, becomes a different way of thinking about how you serve others. Who uses Netflix? Anybody use Netflix? Yeah, very popular service. So a gentleman by the name of Reed Hastings started Netflix. Reed's a really cool guy. He tells this great story about his first um, job in the work world. He was just a programmer. He was a programmer. 
just a programmer. He just sat there and he said, you know, uh, today I'm a CEO, but I was just a programmer. And he was sitting there and he was doing his work at a startup. And he had a really, really, really bad habit. His bad habit was they, um, we, he would go drink out of coffee cups and mugs, and then he would just leave them there. And, you know, some, they'd grow mold and all this stuff, you know, around his workstation. And all week long, he'd just every day he'd go and he'd get it and he'd just leave them. And, and, it, and he said it was, um, that there were ceramic cups and different kind of cups, all the stuff that usually are in the, the cupboards of startups, you know. And so he comes in and, and, and he would collect them. They'd go all week long and then he'd come in on Mondays, you know, and they'd be all be gone. So he comes in on a Saturday morning. He forgot something. He comes in. And he goes to his desk and everything's cleaned up like it always is every Monday morning. And he hears tinkling of dishes in the kitchen. He thinks, oh, well, must be this is when the cleaning people clean up. So he goes around the corner and he looks in there. And there's the CEO with his sleeves rolled up cleaning all the dishes. And Reed stands there and looks for a second because it just doesn't make any sense, right? The CEO's in here on a Saturday doing the dishes doing my dishes, you know, so I'm a little bit embarrassed to kind of say. So he goes up to me, he goes, what are you doing? And he goes, well, I'm just cleaning up the dishes. He goes, do you do this every week? And he goes, yeah, I do it every week. He goes, you clean my dishes every week? He goes, yeah. He goes, why do you do that? He goes, well, Reed, the work you do is really, really, really important. And the work that I do is not as important as your work. And I didn't want to come and ask you to clean your own dishes. I need you doing what you're doing. <laughs> Servant leadership, huh? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, Reed, Reed has told that story. Every time I see Reed, he tells that story. Right? <laughs> you, know, you know why? It's because it's just a great example. And he, used, he says it's a reminder to him. It's absolutely a reminder to him with the people that he works with that he must also use that same level of humility and servant, be, being a servant to the people who, who work for him today. And, uh, I, and I tell that story just as much as I can because it's a reminder to me as well that I'm actually there serving others, not the other way around. And the last thing I'd say just about the, on this, the serving others thing you know, and this idea of privilege and, uh, and not a right and, and really the responsibility that comes with it. We have in the hands, for those of us who lead others, we have in the hands people's dreams. And those of you who've heard me talk before, I, I, I talk a lot about dreams, you know, because I think dreams are so, so important. And here we've spent the summer talking about dreams inside of, inside of our church. And, you know, dreams are an inter interesting word, right, because... When someone's dreams don't happen, we don't say dreams are unfulfilled. We don't say dreams are broken. We don't say, you know, dreams just didn't happen. We say dreams were shattered. And why do we say shattered? Because they're fragile. They're fragile. And they're very hard for us to actually express. They're very hard for us to put our arms around. They're very hard to actually have a conversation with someone about because, you know, are my dreams really good enough? I mean, you know, I say I dream of this and are they going to go, oh, that's not a very big dream. I mean, there's all kinds of implications with dreams. But as leaders, we hold in our hands people's dreams. And if they slip out, 
they shatter. So when you think about how we serve others, right, it is, it is so, so critical that we understand that, that level of responsibility as a leader and that shadow that, 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 we, that we put out. Um, the second thing I would just say is about giving of ourselves. So Lewis is right. Everybody's watching, right? They're, they're, they're constantly watching in this, this idea of the shadow. Um, people can actually tell what's important about to us by two things, where we spend our time and where we spend our money. So if you would give me, if you would give me your calendar and your checkbook, in about a half an hour, I could probably tell you what your top five priorities are. Because it's where you spend your time, it's where you spend, me, spend your money. Now, here's the interesting thing about being a leader. Um, not only are they watching, they count and they add. So they count the hours that we spend with them or not with them. And they count the hours that we spend with others and not with them. And they make comparisons. They, they add the money that gets budgeted, right? So those of us in leadership positions, we make decisions all the time, right? And trade-offs, investments, spending. Where are we going to put the money? Who are we going to, you got a team that's sitting around you, you know? One guy gets this and one guy gets that. The guy that gets this feels really good. The guy that gets that doesn't feel so good, right? I must not be important to you. Right? That, that, that's, that's not the message we're trying to send, but it's sometimes the message that's heard. So where we spend our time and where we spend our money is a very important thing. So therefore, we've got to think about giving, right? Recasting our time and our money into a way of thinking that others would look at and say, you know, you are giving. And so the thing that I think a lot about is how do I give of myself? So when I was knee-high, Growing up in the Southern Baptist Church, you know, I was taught to tithe. Just, it, it, it's sort of always been something I'm supposed to do. So when I went out and, I, and, and left college and went to work on my first job, um, as the first check I wrote every, uh, every month was my tithe. Didn't even have any place to give it because it wasn't going to church. I used to send it to uh, the uh, Radio Bible Guide guys. Just send them the money because I didn't know where else to put it. But, you know, it had been given to me as a lesson that that is what you do. And it became a discipline in my life. And I will tell you that everything God has blessed me with, I think is because I used to write those checks and still write those checks. And that God, I, I, I don't worry about my finances because, you know, God takes care of that. God is always taking care of that. Now, I don't know about the principle of time or or our energy and what we give, you know? I mean, I guess there's no place that says tithing about that. But I think about it the same way. I think about it the same way. I say that the time I give to others is all the time that God gives back to me to get all that other stuff done. And that the energy I give, you know, that when I don't have the energy to give to others is all the energy I need when, I, when it comes time to find that energy. And that those moments of support with other people, those moments that you take and you carve out that half hour, that 15 minutes, that one hour a month to sit down with somebody who needs your time, you know, and at the end of it, they say, what can I do for you? And you really go, nothing. 
Nothing really. Pray for me. But those moments, you know, are, I believe are the things that will take care of us whenever that moment that does come, when we need all that support net, those people will come back. So giving of ourselves financially, our energy, our emotions, our time is a big, big piece of, of, the, of the shadow that we give as a leader. And people know. They know when you're genuine about it and they know when you're not genuine about it. My wife always says to me in a, in a, in a fun way, she goes, why do you do all these meetings with people? Why do you have all these meetings with people that don't have anything to do with snow cap? They don't have anything to do with anything else. They're just people that seek me out. And, you know, I'm, I'm on the corner of uh, Spear and Howard. I'm like Starbucks' most, you know, popular guy. You know, I sit in there all day long talking to people, right? And it's because I believe that that's what we have to do. We have to give, give back of ourselves and that it, that it all comes back around. So I believe, uh, you know, you have to give of yourself if you're going to be in the shadow of our leader. You know, this seems really simple, right? We all talk about it. It's, it's almost pithy now to live the golden rule. All you got to do is live the golden rule. So the simplicity of that is, you know, interesting. The complexity of it is even more interesting. So if it's so simple, why don't we live it? Why don't people do it if it's so simple? And you hear non-believers all the time roll it off. It's the golden rule. It's the golden rule. And then you go see them do something uh, different. So th this week in my company, I, um, what a difference a week makes. So um, a couple of weeks ago, well, for the last year, um, and, uh, and since I've been CEO of Snowcap, we've been working really, really hard to do this deal with MySpace. Everybody knows what MySpace is, right? 106 million people on MySpace now. Over 3 million bands, you know, 3 million bands are out there. And they needed a way to, to, to do commerce for music. And so I joined the company about uh, 10 months ago. We started to repurpose the company, trying to think what we were going to do. We said, you know what, we can do this. We have the technology for them. Let's go after it. Let's go after it. And so just going and going and going and going and going and going. And uh, literally, I mean, some days sitting in the lobby with the briefcase between your knees waiting for somebody to come out, you know, so you could say, hey, let me give you my card. You know, I mean, this was the kind of thing it is when you're dealing with the great big behemoth of MySpace and you're this little tiny fly on the freight train, you know, just trying to hang on. And, um, and this last week, um, week before last, we closed the, the, the deal to their first e-commerce deal to sell all that music. And Snowcap is going to be the exclusive provider of that. So great deal for us. Awesome deal. So, um, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah, thank you. So, so last weekend, we were, we were going to start doing all this, uh, we were going to do all this press. So we uh, had, I, I, a week ago Friday, I spent all day long, I did 12 interviews, New York Times, Financial Times, Rolling Stone, you know, Wall Street Journal, you name them all, did them all. And we were going to embargo all the stories. And embargo means everybody holds them back until they're all released at the same time, right? And they were all going to come out on Tuesday morning. The tsunami, right, was going to hit of all this story. And we were looking for the front page of the New York Times to say MySpace and Snowcap to do all this. Well, the Wall Street bro Journal broke the embargo. And, yeah, and they, they jumped out and they said, we're not going to do this. We got the story. And they went out on Friday night. And then it just trickled out over the weekend. But we got all this huge press that was fantastic. Tuesday morning, you couldn't hear for the phones ringing off the hook. 
and, the e and our email almost crashed because of the number of people that were trying to come in through our biz dev support thing, you know, and, and, they were, and they were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other people going, I got a big idea for you. Wow. And all of a sudden, we stood back and the 50 of us in the company and said, wait a minute, time out. Those 200 plus were us two weeks ago. Looking for the deal. Looking, trying to find, you know, what's the next thing? And now we are kind of like MySpace. Not MySpace, but kind of like them to them. And so we pulled everybody together yesterday and we had a conversation about now what's it mean to be on the other end of the barrel, right? And what's it mean to, to remember how it felt when you were the little guy? Now we're still a little guy, but there's littler guys looking up at us, right? They're now looking up at us. And guess what we talked about yesterday? talked about the golden rule, right? Because we're going to treat others as we would have wanted to be treated in the whole process. Now, in the whole process, by the way, we learned a lot of things of not how, not, how to treat other people, right? So, so I was told on a Friday, on a Friday uh, morning that our deal was going to be signed by MySpace, right? Friday morning. So Friday afternoon comes by and we're kind of all nervous. Now you don't even just understand, you know, anybody, have people worked in a startup? You know, you work in a startup, you know, worked in a small business. I mean, you know that a big deal like this is really, really important. Friday afternoon comes, no deal. I mean, look, you know, people staring at the fax machine all day long. <laughs> Steve Mazzaroni going over to see if it's plugged in, you know, I mean. Uh, and so, you know, we're, so we're, you know, we're just looking, you know. So I, I call up, I go to call down to L.A. to see what's going on. He says, well, Chris DeWolf, the CEO, he left for the afternoon. I said, what do you mean left for the afternoon? Where'd he go? We don't know. He just left for the afternoon. We'll probably sign this on Monday. Well, let me tell you, you know, all of a sudden, you, you know, everything in your head goes, right? You know, he left, he left. Does that mean they really, they're not going to do it now? They've changed their mind. You know, what is going on here, you know? And I got my board, I got all, everybody's anticipating, you know, uh, you know, Patty's about to kill me, you know, at home. So the whole weekend goes by, right? Monday morning, okay, it's all going to be, Monday morning goes, every hour goes by. Now it's the hours, it's the minutes, it's the seconds. And at 2.30 on Monday afternoon, the fax machine, you know, it came through. And I, I, I never want to forget what it felt like from Friday morning to Monday afternoon at 2.30. Because, you know, you just don't do that to other people. You don't do that to other people. So the golden rule is taking that very simple concept and applying it to what we do day in and day out. If we're going to be servant leaders, if we're going to be leaders, you know, that are in the shadow of our leader. So, you know, we use this, you know, a lot of times the people use, by the way, the golden rule is the negative. So I just did, right? You know, you don't treat others like, you know, because you were treated bad. It's also on the positive side. Right? Stop for a second and say, um, how do I want to be treated? I want to feel good. So just treat other people that way. Right? And all of a sudden you'll find that you're in a very positive mode if you think about that. And I also think the golden rule is phenomenal for decision making. Right? So in that moment of angst, you know, I, I would not want to be the board of Hewlett Packard today. Now, if you've been following the press, right? So tomorrow they have a board meeting. 
they have a phone conference board meeting. I can't believe you know they're going to decide what they're going to decide tomorrow on the phone, right? Uh, but that's what they're going to do, and uh, you know, likely the chairman of the board is going to get ousted, and there's going to be all these kind of you know uh, stuff that's going to happen. And you know what? All they had to do when they were making the decision about how they're going to find out what the leaks were and all that, somebody who was making that decision had to stop and say, "Well, if I was the person, right?" that if I was sitting in the shoes of the person who was going to have my phone records read, you know, would I want to be treated that way? And they wouldn't be in the mess they're in. So all you got to do, you know, take the golden rule, and every time you're in that moment of angst and say, you know, am I getting ready to be treating someone like I would want to have been treated myself? And I tell you what, you'll make a lot of good decisions. You'll make a lot of good decisions, and you won't make some of those dangerous, dangerous mistakes that you know, in the world of uh, being a leader, sometimes you, you're, you're, you're vulnerable to. So the golden rule, I think, is you know, just, just part of what we have to do. Um, you know, and then I think you know, beyond just the shadow, you have to work hard to set good examples. You have to work hard at it. Because that, that shadow, as we said, is always present. I mean, there is one time when the shadow's not present. That's when you lie down in the dark, right? And who wants to lie down in the dark, right? That's not, that's not being a leader. You, know, you want that, that, that shadow to be present. And so you have to work hard to set the right examples so that you don't get the implications of the three things that maybe you don't like in the team there. You didn't like the, the, the things that you influence others with. So for example, um, I'm, a, uh, I'm an early morning guy. Just, I, I would have been a perfect farmer because I like to get up with the sun and I like to go to bed with the sun. So unfortunately, you know, life doesn't let you go to bed with the sun, so you never get quite as much sleep as you want when you get up with the sun. But I like to do that. And so I'm usually the first guy in the office, always have been, always have been. And when I was at Electronic Arts, I was the first guy in the parking lot. And I had a red car and I'd park it right in this first little spot, right? And so I didn't realize it, but there were a whole bunch of other people that were watching to see, well, what time does Rusty come in? Because, you know, whether you like it or not, I mean, if you, if, you know what your hours are, right, when you work for somebody? 15 minutes in before them and, and, and stay 15 minutes after they leave? <laughs> That's what we do. It's really what we do, right? You kind of walk around, you look around and say, okay, they're gone, okay, I can go, you know, ooh, let me see if I can get in 15 minutes beforehand. So here I was coming to work, 5.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, first car out there. And I had this feedback session with my group. My group said, you know what? Uh, you expect us to be early morning people. And I said, I don't expect you to be an early morning person. You park right out there in the front so everybody can see it. <laughs> I said, I park where everybody else parks. What do you want me to do? <laughs> and then you know, and then and then you know what? Then and they say, "Well, you send us emails when you get into the office, you know, at six o'clock in the morning, you know." And so when we come in, we first thing we have to do is drop everything. We can't even get settled. We have to. You know, they were right. They were right. Okay. You know what I started doing? I parked my car over in the parking garage, way over on the other side. I used to walk a little bit further so nobody see what time in the morning I came in. All of a sudden, the complaints went away, right? And I would archive my emails. I work offline, 
in the mornings until about 8.15 and then I'd connect and it'd all shoot out. <laughs> it'd all shoot out. So people are watching those little cues, right? So you, you got to set a good, you got to set some kind of examples, right? You got you got to do that. In my job as a CEO, I tell you what, my job is more about how I do it than what I do. It's more about how I do it. People are always are wanting to see how I do things. And so you choose. You you actually choose to try to find a way to be predictable and consistent, in the midst of all of it, so that they can actually expect predictability and consistency out of you. And then you also have to be very, very cognizant of words you choose, emotions that you use, when you stomp your feet and when you don't. I stomped my foot last week for the first time since I've been in snowcap. And I did it in passion. And the people that were in the room understood that it was not angry stamp, but all the people that were on the other side of the glass um, conference room, they were, I mean, they freaked out because I never stamped my foot. I mean, they see me in there doing this, right? You know? And they, and they knew I wasn't being Mr. Ed counting, you know? I'm like, uh... And so, so they, you know, and, and, and then I, and I had to walk outside because my COO said, look, at, look! And everybody's like... And so I had to go out and say, I wasn't upset, guys. You know, I wasn't upset. I was just being passionate about a point we're trying to make. So, you know, the how you do things is extremely important. And, you know, and the way I think about it as a leader is, is that, you know, every day is my laboratory. Every hour is my laboratory. Every minute, every, you know, every hour is, a lab, is my laboratory to make sure that I'm setting those right examples, that I am leaving behind something in my shadow that somebody would want to emulate in a positive way, knowing that I fail all the time, knowing that I fail all the time, that I'm leaving bad habits along the way as well. And, that, uh, and, then, and not doing as good as I should do when it comes to setting examples. And then the last thing I'll just talk about the shadow of, of our leader is about being prepared. So I can't stress enough about preparation. I can't stress. And, and I love this concept of preparation because when you're, when you're goal-oriented like I am, you know, you, 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 can, you feel when you achieve things and you have results. But you know, I think it fits in the context of what we're talking about today is because life is a preparation for the afterlife, right? That's what we're doing. We're good and faithful servant. You did good, right? You did good. And that's, that's the preparation. This is spring training. This is spring training for the big game. And so when you go out and you, and you talk about being prepared, it means so much to either be prepared or not be prepared as a leader. Because people expect you as a leader to be ready. They want you to be ready. And the only way I know to be ready is to go through that preparation. You know, uh, Napoleon said, dress me slow for I must ride fast today. What's they mean by that? Why did they say that? Because buckle me in, get me all ready because I'm going to get on that horse and I'm going to go fast today. Right? It was about preparation, being prepared for that moment. Um, you know, just a little hint for you as a leader, there's no stress in being early. No stress in being early. Okay? A lot of stress in being late for something, by the way. But no stress in being early. And if you want to be seen as a predictable, consistent leader that people can look at and say, gosh, he seems to have his act together all the time. 
It's a little secret. Just be early. Be early in everything. Be early before the meeting. Be early for your, when the report that needs to be put together. Be early for the speech. Be early in your preparation for doing something like this. Right? You just always be early. Um, we all have computers, right? They have, they have an operating system. They turn on the same way every day, right? When they don't turn on, it makes us mad, right? And they, you know, <laughs> something else happens. When they talk to each other, they talk to each other the same way. There is no variability in, in a computer's operating system. We as leaders have our operating system. It has a lot of variability in it, doesn't it? One day you're in the office at 10, the next day in the office at 7. Hmm, that's variability. One day I'm in a good mood, one day I'm in a bad mood. It's variability. One day a meeting gets canceled, one day a meeting stays on the schedule. It's variability. One day the person who works with you is in a bad mood. It changes your mood, right? So, so the human operating system is full of variability. The way to take the variability out is through preparation. It's always through preparation. Being ready, being ahead, thinking ahead, having the plan in place. You know, the right inputs for our human operating system, we have them at our fingertips, thank goodness. We've got our Bible, we've got our fellowship, and we've got our prayer. And I, I think about, you know, daily, the preparation that I go through for my day has to have that Bible and that prayer part to it. Because I don't know what is going to happen. The system might crash later in the day. And if I don't have the right inputs going into that system, the crash could be really, really bad. And when you're a Christian leader, you know, I'll tell you what the most vulnerable thing is for me as, as, as a person, as a leader, as a Christian leader, are the words that come out of my mouth. And when a word that comes out of my mouth is not a word that a Christian leader should use, man, it's, it, it pains me, and I know it, 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 it erodes my credibility as a Christian leader to others. That's why I like having Steve Mazzaroni work with me. I have a, a built-in accountability partner now. Right? He sits right from me over to where Lewis is. We're all on the open, you know, and something's not going right. And that, you know, my, I th my language is better with Steve's around. <laughs> it's something to think about as a Christian leader. Do you have an accountability partner that can help you as one of those inputs into your human operating system, into your leadership system? Somebody that you can feel comfortable with enough that you know they're holding you to a higher standard than the standard you hold to yourself. And it's really been a blessing for me just to have Steve, crazy Steve, you know, <laughs> right there, who has a very variable operating system, and he knows that. I've told him that. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great thing having him there. And then the last thing I would say about being prepared is, you know, leaders always seem to be ready. Great leaders always seem to be ready. And great leaders always seem to do, they do seem to have the right words at the right time, that they have the right actions at the right time, and that they, you know, the right inflections, it's all those things, you know. And I think that's why we follow them. We follow them because we look up to them and say, we want to be like you. And when we talk about the shadow of our leader, we have the best example we could ever, ever imagine, right? We have Jesus that we can look to, who always said the right thing, always had the right inflections, knew what to do at the right time. And so we actually have that, our, own, that own, uh, our own leader that we can follow. So my challenge 
would be to you what's in the book of Esther. What's more, who can say that you have been elevated to the palace for such a time as this? Monday's going to be a different day. Tomorrow's a different day. Maybe later today, maybe it's the moment right here that we've been elevated to this palace. And are we ready to be there as leaders? So I, I, I love it, right? Because as Christian leaders, we face the sun. That's good. We face the sun. And we expect that that shadow is going to look like that. And others, when you have that moment to, to give your testimony, or you have that moment to drop that word where they, they look at you and they say, you know, you're a person of faith. You're a man of faith, aren't you? That's because they're seeing that shadow. You've left that shadow behind. And that's that moment that comes with, you know, the privilege and the responsibility and all the great things of being that leader. That's that, that beautiful moment. I was at a, I, uh, um, a session a couple of weeks ago, and I was speaking at a conference, and a woman came up after me, and she said, I know you. And I said, you, you do? And she goes, yeah, I know you. And, I, and, and it was really a, one of those weird moments because I wasn't sure. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, all, all the implications. Yeah, I kind of, and uh, everything's going through your head. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she looked me right in the eyes. And she goes, no, she goes, no, because she, she could tell she took me, uh, she took me uh, uh, back a second. She goes, I know what you stand for, and I appreciate it. She didn't say anything about me being a Christian, but you know, you, you know that moment, right? And I left that conference. I didn't know what I said. I didn't know what I'd done. I didn't know what the inflection was. I don't know what, but she saw the shadow that I wanted to leave behind. So for, it was for that moment. So, you know, it's a, it's a huge responsibility, guys. It's a great privilege, um, you know, that we have. Um, God won't give us more than we can handle, right? He puts us in those points because he knows we can cast that right shadow. And we just have to, we have to be ready for it. We have to be ready for it. And so, you know, as Pastor Terry said, you know, God has blessed me by being a part of the, the Cornerstone community. Um, Really, I, I've, you've heard me say it before. The hardest thing I do do every week is that hour with the kids upstairs. You know, keeping them quiet, keeping me excited, keeping them quiet, keeping them excited. Um, and you know, in the and mo the, mo the moment you really you, you actually only dread two moments. The first one is when you know, there's a knock on the door that says, "Shh, they can hear you downstairs," right? And then the other moment is that when the service runs over, right? You know, it's that extra 10 minutes that you're trying to fill. You know, that's when it really gets hard, but that's okay. Um, yeah, can you, can you work on that? Work on that, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's all about precision, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but, you know, when I get done with this today, I got to go home and I got to work on tomorrow's because we kick off a brand new curriculum for the kids. It's a 13-week curriculum. And uh, it's called The Edge. We're really excited about it. And, you know, we're just kind of making it up as we go here. But, you know, it's those moments that, that I think, you know, I, I look at it and I go, you know, God's blessed me with great opportunities in my business world, great opportunities in my relationships. I can't complain about anything in life. It's stupid to even think about it. Um, but I also see that I'm blessed, you know, for that little moment with those kids, right, that they can kind of look at that shadow and hopefully they see it. And, you know, what Lewis said, as I said, was the perfect... Uh, perfect introduction because it's uh, it, it all fits together so my privilege to spend time with you guys any questions uh, we can do that too
Yes. Within that, when will you insert the passion, the stamping on the ground without passing the road? Oh yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, how do you how do you do that passion, right? You know, when you stomp on the ground, but yet you don't want to show. So there's a difference between passion and anger. Right? Definitely a difference between passion and anger. And the way I think you temper it is the words that come out of your mouth. Right? You know, they're positive, they're encouragement. Let's go make that happen. I want to do that. You know, instead of, you, you know, go make, you know, I can't believe we didn't do that. You know? So I think it's all about positive versus negative that comes with it. Um, people want to see passion in leaders. They absolutely want to. And, and it, if there's anything that's contagious, it's passion. So I think you can do it, um, but you have to be cognizant of how you do it and where you do it and, and, and how people look through the glass. If they, if they were on the other side of the glass, it wasn't a problem. It was the other side of the glass that, they, that I had to go explain to Tom. How do you, like when you get in those passionate moments, whether they're fun passionate or non-fun passionate, how do you watch your intonation, check your intonation? Yeah, it's, it's hard. You know, it's, it's hard. But it's, that, it's, it's, it's about being prepared for it. So what I try to do every day in my, in my devotional, I, I, maybe a little unorthodox, you know, I do my devotional look at my calendar at the same time. Because I try to look at my calendar and say, what am I up against today? Right? What are those meetings and who are those people that I'm going to be with? And what are the points that I'm going to be up against? Because some of the times it's you know, going to be conflict. Sometimes it's going to be positive. Sometimes it's going to be a sales call. Sometimes it's going to be all those things. And so I try to do that, and I, and I kind of pull my daily devotional through my calendar, hoping that I'm going to find the right words, the right spirit, the right things to get ready for that day. And, and I reflect back on that throughout the day, and that helps me. What like, about at home? Uh, my wife sometimes tells me, you know, I separate my business from my, my personal. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. a great, that's a great question. Yeah. I don't know. You'd have to ask Patty. Um, <laughs> see what shadow I'm casting there. You know, I, I, I know I'm not. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you this, Tom. I know this. Um, when she when she looks at the uh, the investment and the balance of time and money, yeah, I, I don't win on the time side with her. Yeah. And if she looked at my account, you know, she looks at the time where I spend my time. She says. Wait a minute, where am I in the priority list? And that's something we all have to watch. Yeah, I saw a hand over here. Yes, Scott. This question, do you think that what flows out is the attitude? I mean, don't the words follow the attitude? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, but and, and I think the attitude follows the spirit. Right? So, you know, if, you're, if the spirit is right, then the attitude's probably going to be positive, then the words will be good. Right, so I, I've always believed that you know every change. Like when you get, try to get people to change, you don't change people's behaviors. You change the stuff that's down here. Right, we all do things that we shouldn't do until something really dramatic happens, and then, then good change happens down in here. So I think attitude follows the spirit, and you get the spirit right, and you try to keep the spirit healthy. Then the attitude will come. Yes, Jay. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, 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 yeah. So I, I struggle all the time with uh, how overt, how not overt, you know. And I guess I could walk, 
maybe I don't have the courage. Actually, maybe that's what it is, not to have the courage to kind of walk around and, you know, just walk up to people and say, hey, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. You should be one, too. Um, it's not, not my style, you know, and maybe that's lack of courage. I don't know. I've struggled with it a lot. But what I try to do is I try to drop the right things in at the right time, right? And, and, and I just do my best to know what the right time is. So if I feel like someone else is a person of faith, I immediately share my faith. I immediately share my faith, if I get that in, any inclination of that. And then I just do other things. Like if you go to my MySpace page right now and you look at um, the books I'm reading, it'll say in there, I'm on a year-long read of the Bible. Now, will somebody pick up on that? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I see. What music am I listening to? I make sure that there's a Christian band in there. Will they pick up on that? Maybe, maybe not, but I think so. You know, so I try to do it that way um, and, you know, and, and try to be, you know, do the things we're talking about, how you lead and try to be a good human being. And maybe it all comes together that somebody comes up to you and says, I know, I know what you stand for. Or they want to know. Or they want, or they want to know. Yes, sir. How do you stay so fit? Uh, I run. I run. I run between 25 and 30 miles a week. Um, I, do, I, don't eat, I don't eat like I should, um, you know, so I don't eat enough. But... Uh, so, so that's the flip, uh, the other way I kind of keep uh, keep myself uh, skinny, but um, but I do I, I run, and that's and that's part of my preparation. By the way, is you know I, I got a lot of energy, and if I don't get that energy out, it manifests itself in a in a bad way. No, Maz did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, don't I wish? Yeah, don't I wish? Yeah, Maz found that for me. Yes. It's great and all to say we're all 120 guys in here want to be a leader, but I own a company and a lot of times I don't feel like a leader and I don't I don't feel like uh, I, want, I even want to be in it. At the, at times. Yeah. Or or you're in a company and you're not the leader, you're not the guy in charge. What you know? Uh, how do you how do you represent that shadow in, in, while not even being it or wanting to be it? I, I don't think you have a choice. You you you're a leader to somebody whether you want it or not. Whether you want it or not. Now, you can take yourself out of positions of leadership, you know, where you don't have people reporting to you and you're an individual contributor and all that. Kind of, but, you know, you just said it. I own a company, right? So you have people who work in that company? Sorry. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Are we talking? I mean, we could just uh, get back to them. So if there is no opportunity with them. Yeah. Let me. Sorry, no. Exactly. So here's what we've decided: responsive, right? So responsive, not letting people hang. Gracious, that we will be gracious and we will be decisive. And if you really do those three things, what more can somebody ask you? You get back to them, you're gracious about it, and you're decisive. Yes, you're, we're going to go forward with you. No, we're not. And so that's the three things we decided on. Yes, sir. Yeah, well, I think it starts with that first word I had up there around honesty. 
and being really transparent about, I mean, about what, you, what you think and what things are. I mean, I, I went through this yesterday with a guy who promoted somebody above him and you know, he's not happy about it. And you know, I just had to finally say to him, you know, after listening to him, I said, it was the decision I made. I can't tell you whether or not you're gonna believe it's a good decision or a bad decision. But it was the decision I made and here's why I made it. And you know, you can blame me for being a bad manager or a bad decision maker. But it's the decision I made. And I think you just have to be open and honest and blunt with people. And you know, I, I, before as a CEO, I was an HR guy. And, and try to be, you know, it's, this is crazy, right? You, HR guys are supposed to be the honest guys, right? You know, it's supposed to be that. And we all know the bad reputation that HR people get, right? Because they're the smiling dogs, right? They, ah, everything's in a, right? And they never tell you the way it is, right? They never tell you the way it is. And so, uh, you know, I worked really, really hard to have a reputation to be someone who would tell you the way it is, whether you really liked it or not. You just told it the way it was. And so, uh, you know, obviously there are times where you try to massage something to make it better and all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I, I'm learning and learning. I, you know, I always, I always say I always reserve the right to get smarter. So I have to reserve the right to get smarter. But and as I learn, you know, mas massaging, nothing good comes from massaging. It just doesn't come, nothing good. Just tell it like it is. You know, you try to massage stuff around and it just gets, it comes back to bite you. So I just try to be open, honest, to the point, get to it, you know, and, 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 and consistent. Yes, Don. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Don, not for a bit, you know, not for a bit. But uh, we got we gotta we gotta execute on this big plan first. So yes, sir. That's a great question. I didn't, I didn't spend time th thinking about that. Um, I think, I think I personally have felt more ready, you know, because of the preparation time for it. And uh, you know, what happens in these kinds of things is, you know, it's the moments you get elevated to the palace and all the stuff that happens after that, right? So all the great, you know, keep on reading in the Book of Esther, right? And how everything that happened post Esther having the courage to go in and talk. Right, the things that happen. So you know, the preparation, the readiness for that, and that's, and that's the, maybe in full vulnerability and honesty. That's the next thing I'm not really sure about yet, right? Because now I'm now we're elevated on this stage. Now I'm elevated up on another stage, and I know things are going to come at me that you know. Am I really prepared for? Will I still be the right kind of leader at the right point at the right time? You know, that's what I'm praying about. Now I was praying about that back then too. You know, so, so far, so good. Um, but, um, you know, I don't know about the, com I, I don't know, I didn't, I, I got to think about that. It's a good, it's a good question. It's a good question. Okay. Well, All right. Let's give Rusty a hand. Yeah. 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 Yeah.